Welcome to the Oregon College Football Post Game Show with Judah Newby and Neil Lomax. Presented by Frost Brewed Coors Light on 1029 and 750 The Game. Well, that is another terrible, terrible loss for the Oregon Ducks at the hands of the Utah Utes. 32 to 25, Utah wins. Oregon with a 25 to 22 lead midway through the fourth quarter, and Utah closes it out with a backup quarterback and a backup running back with 10 straight points to seal the fate of the Oregon Ducks, who fall to six and four on the season, three and four in conference play with two weeks left. Home to Arizona State next week, on the road at Oregon State. On Black Friday in the Civil War. 503-417-7575. What's your biggest disappointment from this one, Duck fans? You can sound off at that number. 503-417-7575. You can also tweet at 1029 the game. Was it the fact that a backup running back went for 174 rushing yards? That Utah as a team rushed for 232 yards? Was it the fact that a backup redshirt freshman quarterback threw for 262 yards and most importantly didn't turn the football over was it the fact that this team continues when they go on the road to be unable to get off to a good start down 10 nothing 10 minutes into the game they can't get a pass completed until the second quarter they don't wake up until the second half is it the fact that the offensive line continues to be unable to run block that they continue to be unable to pass protect even with max protection What's your biggest disappointment from this game? Is it the lack of creativity on offense, the lack of production in the running game? Even Justin Herbert missed a few throws. He ended up finishing with decent stat totals, but in the end, it is not enough. You cannot expect to go down 13-0, 16-7, and go on and win that game, no matter who you're playing against on the road. That's for me. For me, it's the inability to start not even average. They start so poorly. Their last three road games have been terrible, terrible. And there's no adjustments made. There is no attention to detail. There's no urgency from the first quarter on. They don't wake up till the second half. And, of course, I'm a little bit bigger, bitter. Because <laughs> I picked the Ducks not only to win, but then when Vegas moved the line from 3.5 to Oregon plus 4, to Oregon plus 4.5, to Oregon plus 5, and by kickoff it was Oregon plus 5.5, and, and I doubled down. And Oregon lost by seven. <laughs> it's a terrible, terrible day. Neil Lomax, Judah Newby, we're just underway on the Oregon College Football Post Game Show. Neil, 32-25, Utah wins this one. You said it coming in. Vegas Bowl. This team's a Vegas Bowl team one year later. Yeah, and I lost my Vegas bet, too. Uh, I'm glad I was just kind of being a, you know... A little jokingly there, I didn't put two grand down, obviously, but you know, still, <laughs> I, I would have if I had that kind of cash. And yeah, the better team won. The, the better football team won. Coaching, Oregon got outcoached, uh, offensively, got outplayed. Physicality, yep. Utah, it's a more physical team. Let's look at the rushing yards. Defensively, when they had to make stops, Utah made the stops. Oregon did not. And we're talking about a freebie that Oregon got by a blocked punt. That was really the only turnover. This was a very clean game turnover-wise. Interceptions, interceptions, fumbles, uh, you know, penalties, a little few late there. We can talk about the P.I. on Graham at the end. But bottom line is the offensive line of Utah dominated. The defensive line or Oregon. The front three are not run defenders. They're pass rushers. 
That was very it was exposed again today. These guys are edge rusher, meaning Jalen Jelks. You know, Jordan Scott, yeah, he's a two-gapper, but Holland's on the edge. These guys are pass rushers. That's what they are. They're third down, second long kind of players. The linebackers have to stunt. The Travis dies, uh, Sims, who all those guys had Lamar Winston Jr. They had to stop the run. They could not do it. Yeah, I, I thought the dominance came from the offensive line of Utah and the defensive line of Utah. Well, the trenches, right? I mean, that's what basically so many games come down to the trench war. And even with a backup quarterback and a backup running back, you still got you know your starting O line and D line. And Utah, let's start defensively for Utah, Neil. How impressed were you with the ability that they had to kind of slow down the Oregon offense? In the first half, especially, and Oregon ended up getting some traction in the second half, but then when it mattered most, it was the Utah defense that was the better unit. Yeah, and, and they picked on uh, Julian Blackman, and we knew that. And Dylan Mitchell made two spectacular catches with some great throws early on by Justin Herbert. I mean, that little go route from 32 yards out was the prettiest thing I've seen in a long time. Beautiful ball, beautiful catch. Blackman was all over. And then they made the adjustment. I mean, I, I saw... Jalen Johnson actually on, uh, um, I'm going going blank for a second here on Dylan. Yeah, uh, in the second half, right? It wasn't on. He wasn't on um, school anymore. Jalen Johnson came to cover uh, Dylan Mitchell and covered him quite well, especially at the right at the end on that fourth down play. He cut inside, knocked that ball away, and so that man to man coverage was played very well by the Utah Utes. Uh, I was impressed by Chase Hansen and Coney Barton, the linebackers. They're making a lot of tackles, a lot of stunning. But, again, my, my takeaway right off the bat, without seeing film, sideline film, uh, end zone film, offensive, defensive line, the pass protection breakdowns. I want to hear Mario Cristobal talk about, I could not tell you how many, I saw four or five times where the offensive line was sliding right or sliding left. They call it a slide protection, but nobody picked out backside edges. Is that a communication error? And those are things we talked about pregame. Is that... Calvin Throckmorton not calling that protection correctly. Is that a back? Is that C.J. Vardell supposed to Travis die? Is supposed to stay in and block? I I don't know. I, I want to hear the explanation. Why did I see five or six times someone came from the secondary, the the second level, or a lineman untouched, untouched, and got to Herbert within two uh, one and a half to two seconds? Is that a communication issue? Is that just an inability by? a young backfield collectively, whether it's Verdell or whether it's Travis Dye. Or I, it seemed like Verdell especially was in vulnerable pass pro positions today and didn't do a decent job. And how much of that is a good defensive game plan by Utah? A lot of those were uh, delayed rushes, you know, with, with a linebacker either showing that he was going to come one way and then coming the other way delayed to kind of almost deke the running back mm-hmm. in his pass protection. Well, what, you, what, what kind of stuff did you see? It, and again, I got to watch the film. Yeah, you got to understand what they were trying to do. Marcus Arroyo will address that as well as Mario Cristobal because he's the offensive line guy. Uh, that a lot of times I saw the back hot, meaning he did not have protection. Mm-hmm. He was red. We call him when you're red, you're hot. You're going to a flat. You're going to a swing. You have no pass protection uh, responsibilities whatsoever. I saw that four or five times. It wasn't the back's fault. The communication was clearly go on a route. You're hot. We have it picked up so, with our five guys and our tight end, and that was not the case. So if he's hot, then you got to get him the football. Exactly. Or, or, again, that tells me there was miscommunication in protection with the offensive line because Justin Herbert was not going his hot route. 
They're only bringing four. See that, but that's the so thing. that's I mean, a communication like, issue that we discussed early in the game. Was that going to be a problem with Hanson gone? So I needed you need the coach to tell you this was the issue, or Justin Herbert, did you read it incorrectly? I, I, I doubt that. I really doubt that that was it was on him because it wasn't once or twice. It was four or five times. They came clean. I mean, clean from a defensive end, a backer. It wasn't like a blitz. A blitz means you don't have anybody to pick pick you up. No one's going to pick you up, so that's a quarterback's responsibility. I've got the extra man. I've got the blitzer. This was only they're only bringing four or five. That's a protection error. That's a scheme error. I'm, I'm anxious to hear what the conversation or the excuse is for that. Uh, we'll go live to Salt Lake. We'll talk to James Crepia after he talks to Mario Cristobal and some of the players as well. What their reaction is from this one. Final stats for a lot of the uh, box score. Jason Shelley for Utah goes 18 for 31, 262 yards. No touchdowns thrown for Shelley in this game, although he did have two rushing scores. And, Neil, most importantly for Shelley, no interceptions thrown. And this was a game that... You know, you could argue came down to a couple of turnovers as well. For Oregon, they gave Utah a first-half touchdown on the strip sack of Justin Herbert in the first quarter, and then Oregon got a late go-ahead touchdown with the special team's blocked punt there near the Utah goal line. But let's start with Jason Shelley evaluating his performance. That was one of the huge unknowns coming into the game was how composed would this guy be making his first career start in the Pac-12. He had played big Texas high school football, yes, but we didn't really know what we were going to get. You just assumed with Tyler Huntley playing the way that he was playing, suffering the season-ending injury, that there was going to be some type of regression at the quarterback position. Tell you what, Huntley's a decent quarterback, maybe a pretty good quarterback. Shelley's got a bright future in this league, the way that he played without turning the football over. Game manager. He facilitated and the poise for a redshirt freshman, and I mentioned this in our, in our early part of our show, few hours ago, there's only been one other freshman to beat the Ducks the last really 10, 15 years uh, who started at quarterback, and that was Sam Darnold with the USC team a few years ago. So here comes Jason Shelley, who's only thrown 14 balls. <laughs> completed. He's only played really one, one half of a game, and that was last week. But that tells you what a talent will do for you if you give this kid a full week of practice. And I, I'm going to give a lot of credit to Troy Taylor. A lot of credit to the offensive coordinator for managing this guy, working with this guy. So they spend extra time on film, extra time in the coaching room, extra time on the field. Uh, the, the players around him support him. I mean, he looked like he's been playing all year. He looked like Huntley, actually. And then the other credit's got to go to Armand Shine. I mean, he's total season, folks, in the entire season. He's rushed 37 times for 174 yards in the entire season. Today, 174 yards. On 26 carries. Unbelievable. No fumbles. And they've been coughing the ball up. You know, James talked about that. A lot of fumbles. No fumbles whatsoever. And that's due again to the offensive line. I give credit to Troy Taylor, who got that offensive line, guys. The great game plan. When they had to run the ball, they ran the ball very effectively. Yeah, I'm going to also have to criticize Jim Levitt's job in this one. You cannot game plan for a backup quarterback and a backup running back and allow them kneel. 306 yards of offense at halftime. Ouch. Paying the guy 1.6 mil. Ouch. Come on, man. It's 1.7, isn't it? I think you're right. Yeah, there's another 100 grand in there. I don't want to cheat him, you know, when I'm, you know, heaping praise. That's unacceptable to me, though. I mean, look, and not just, he's not the one playing, right? But how do you give up 300 plus yards of offense to a team that just lost 85% of its offensive production 
in the span of 100 hours. Yeah, they're they, they, going down and Moss going down, and yet they still put up a 300-burger on you in 30 minutes. Come <laughs> 300 on. 300-burger, I like. Yeah, that's first half. Well, here's the key to this game. You know, Oregon finally got a break with the uh, blocked punt, and they score, but the two-point play, I mean, Herbert did some great jobs extending the play. That throw to, to Jalen Red, uh, the flat throw he throws to die for the touchdown, all that. But so Oregon goes up 25-22. Right. Okay, with eight minutes left. So, okay, game on. Game on. We got the spread. Everything's looking good. Well, within 90 seconds, Utah goes five plays, 62 yards, and scores. That summarized kind of what you're saying about Levitt's defense, sense of urgency. Too easy. Can you start? And most of those were runs. One big pass play, and they got right back in the game and controlled it from then on out. All right, let's go to the phones. 503-417-7575. Sound off on this duck loss. Another road loss. Another terrible road start. They try to come back. They take a lead, and then eight minutes later, they lose by seven. Let's go to Jeff, who's out in Portland. Jeff, what was your takeaway from this one for the Ducks? Hey, guys. Thanks for taking my call. Honestly, I'm still infuriated at the pass interference call of the referee that waited until the Utah fans got all over him, just like you see in the NBA all the time with late calls, mm. and decided he was going to call a pass interference call that gives him three downs to score from the three-yard line. And that was the biggest play in that game, a momentum swing in the fourth quarter. And I'm sick of the Pac-12 conference having this sketchy referee play. It's just absolutely a turnoff as a fan. And I know, like, Oregon had one penalty at home last week, and I saw more than one penalty at home, and I'm a Duck fan. I just wish it was more even. Like, call it like it is, not call it so that you can get off the field with two seconds left. And if it wasn't for Cristobal running you down, you know, you would just just get out of there as quickly as possible. The referees absolutely pissed me off in that I'm – frustrated, man. Yeah, man. I, Jeff, I, I completely agree with you. The Pac-12 refs have got to be, the from a quality standpoint, the worst collective unit of any Power 5 conference. And I don't even think that that's reaching. <laughs> Heck, even give me some of the uh, non-Power 5 referees. They probably do a better job than the referees in this conference. And I don't Look, I mean, it's easier said than done. I know. But if you isolate the defensive pass interference call there late against Thomas Graham, there's a point to be had there, Neil. We both agreed when we saw it live and when we saw it on review. It's okay. a bad call. Okay, bad call. It's a bad call. Okay, bad call, but it's first It's first and goal from the six. That was second and goal and they from the throw six. Okay, second and goal yeah. from the six. They throw a fade. So I'd rather so have... second and goal. Okay, well, it wasn't it wasn't fourth down no. and fifteen or fourth down and twenty or third. I I I'd I, rather I, have third and goal from the six. No, I, I understand what I understand two. what Jeff's talking about. Yeah. I appreciate the call. He's right on. I mean, it's it's the inconsistencies are amazing from week to week. It really is, and I, I watch it. I try to watch it from the thirty thousand foot level to go. Okay, I'm not there on the ground level. I'm not there the end zone. I'm not right on the line of scrimmage, folks. You know, you don't exact. But you're right. The inconsistencies are amazing. Even that last time when they got the first down, I thought the clock should have stopped in the first. When you get a first down, the clock stops. The last play of the game. There was three seconds left. There was a, or four there, seconds Maybe left. four seconds so left. So you spike it with three. I understand that you need three seconds, whatever, whatever. You, you should have never got there. But uh, he is right. The, the, the officiating is something. But that's what happens, though, when you lose. And when you lose, you, I, I'm, again, I'm not an Oregon fan, Oregon State fan, but when you lose, you start picking on things. You want to blame people. Yeah. Well, let's, let's blame the coaching. Let's blame the offensive line and defensive line. 
The referees had a little to do with the here and there, but still, folks, they got down there to the 78-yard line. It was first and goal to start with, so it wasn't like it's from the 30-yard line. That would have been a brutal call. Well, it's it was definitely too easy to get to that point. I don't think there's any question about that. But if you are if you want to isolate, I will say I'd take my chances third and goal from the six, then first and goal from the two, and that's what it should, it should have been third and goal from the okay, six three points, to hold to a field point goal. Three points, Ties make... the game. You've got more options on offense. It matters. It matters. One of 65, 70 plays yep. that you can go through and dissect. No question. They might have kicked another field goal and – Oregon's very lucky they they contain them from the twenty to twenty. I mean, what five for five field goals? Judah, you're putting six, for six, six for six final. But he was at five for five going at the end there, and they for kick, the cover. They kicked the extra one to cover. I hate Vegas. So I don't I don't care about the officials. I care about Vegas. God, how'd they know, Judah? Yeah, what I, was that, dude? Someone knew how good Jason Shelley was because I sure didn't. But Jeff, I, thanks for the call though. That's yeah. a good point about the the, the zebras. Yeah. 503-417-7575. Sound off was the most disappointing part about this Oregon loss to Utah. 32-25. Ducks lose to a backup QB and RB. And by full touchdown, Utah covers the Sunreal. More postgame coming up next on 1029-750 the game. 503-417-7575. Are you excited about the Vegas Bulldog fans? Just like Willie Taggart was talking about this time a year ago. I think uh, that's what you're in for again this year. Either that or worse, man. I don't even know at this point. But, uh, yeah, the Ducks lose by a touchdown 32-25. to Alongside Neil Lomax, I'm Judah Nubi. And, uh, Neil, yeah, we were just talking during the break as well. Even though the referees, I did think, did not have a good game in, in the fourth quarter particularly. Um you know, they didn't lose Oregon this game. They did not lose Oregon this game. But I think Oregon should have had one more play at the end. I mean, it was, there was four seconds when Brandon Schooler went down. The clock went down to two. Then they spiked the football. Even then, I thought there was like a half second left on the clock. And they didn't even review that part. It took 10 seconds for them to review it. And then they got out of there. Well, I think the, yeah, the officials were in the locker room. Maybe called back that? just to review it again. But I thought Schooler, when he did make the catch, as soon as you get the first down and you go down... So as soon as you go down, yeah. the clock should have stopped. I thought there were four, maybe five. on this. When he went down, his knee is down. It's not the NFL. You don't have to touch him or tackle him. He is down. I'd love to get a replay of that. You could have had one more chance for a, for a Hail Mary. But okay, that, that didn't cost him the game. Uh, lack of defense, lack of stopping that run. And I said it from the get-go as well. We're talking with Jordan Ken earlier. So you take away like 85% of their offense? I mean, 85%, you know, a third or fourth grader would kind of figure out, hey, Oregon's got to win this football game. They should win the football game. They're going to win this football game. But they proved to all of us, and again, I'm not the big Oregon fan. I'm, not, I'm just, I see it, and I call it as I see it. Yep. There's not a very good football team. They got one huge playmaker offensively besides Justin Herbert. I mean, Justin Herbert still, to me, is a gifted, young, very energetic, very exciting college quarterback that has a huge upside could be playing and he maybe will play on Sundays but right now there's not a supporting cast around him and what broke down today was the offensive line that broke down pass protection was a D to D minus if not an F and again you got to watch film you got to understand concepts and schemes why was it that obvious throughout the game he was being pressured and Oregon was not picking up the extra rusher 
or the fifth man, the fourth man, very poor protection scheme, and up and down the offensive line with their dings and moving Stephen Jones, the left tackle, Throckmorton to center. Too Hansen much. didn't play. Too, Maybe that was yeah, a big deal. And, it's a and, huge deal. And James Krebuk, he can probably tell us more about it. But I really like, if I was in the, the post-game interview, the first question I would ask Marcus the ball, and you're the offensive line guy, Coach, because you're out there wearing a polo. Crystal ball and Maribel. When it's 38 degrees outside, you're not going to wear a little pullover. You're not going to wear a jacket. Heck no, I'm an offensive line guy. So I'm going to wear that pullover, I mean that polo, to make sure I look tough. Well, how'd that go? You know, offensive line, D-. minus. I want to know why. Yeah, and we'll try to get those crystal ball uh, audio cuts as soon as we have them going on the road. It's always a little bit more difficult to track those down than they are when he's doing the press conference at Odson, but we'll get those for you as well. We'll go live to Salt Lake and talk to James Crepe along the way as well. Utah with 24 first downs, and you know uh, they got slowed down on, on third down in the second half. Utah finishes 4 for 16 on third down for the game, which you'll take that every time. That's 25% conversion rate on third down. The Duck defense at times did well. In fact, they held Utah to under 200 yards of offense in the second half, <laughs> which normally you're like, oh, okay, well, that's you should be holding an offense under 200 yards for a half, but not considering when they went for 306 in the first half of this game. So ultimately 232 yards rushing, Neil. Like, I almost forget about that, but Oregon's rush defense has struggled mightily for the last month or so, if not the entire year. I come into it from a personnel standpoint, seeing Jordan Scott play nose tackle, Austin Fayolu, Troy Dye at the Mike linebacker, and a veteran safety in Ugo Amadi. You should be a good run defense. You're not only not good, you're bad. What is happening there? Well, the 3-4 is set up to pass rush, and you need one or two of your linebackers to be run stoppers. I mean, you, you, you've got, like you said, Travis Dye or Lamar Winston, uh, a junior, um, a Justin Hollins on the outside. He's got to do a better job, too, of stopping the run. Um, you know, Samson knew played a little bit. Keith Sims mm-hmm. got in the game a little bit as well. So a lot of linebackers. There's some injuries there. Uh, you, that, that's a key. Those four linebackers should be getting eight, nine tackles a game. They have to be. And until the tackles get brought up on our stat sheet, usually they come in a little later. You might have them right now, Judah. But that... That's the key. If your linebackers aren't making tackles and they're going to secondary, you got trouble. Um, and and again, Oregon, you're not offensively still. You got to overcome these issues with. To me, that a stud quarterback you have, you got to be scoring 35, 40 points, and they got a freebie. You know, they got 20, only 25 points, but seven of that came from a block punt. And Stack misses the field goal, right? So there's another three they didn't have. They didn't convert on that one. So offensively. Really, Judy, they scored two touchdowns. Yeah. That's how I look at it. Offensively, they earned two touchdowns. They earned two. That's a great way to put it. They just earned two touchdowns. Not enough. Not enough. And I'm going to give Nick Aliotti some pops here. Yeah, he called it, didn't he? He said the first team to 28, and I'm going to put a little note down. I owe him whatever he wants. I mean, that was a great call. He talked about this. Still going to be a close game. He mentioned it. First team to 28 will win this game. And that's exactly what happened. Oregon with a 25-22 lead. And then I think that's the most important drive of the game. You know how in baseball, I mean, Neil, you're a baseball fan. I know obviously uh, you played professionally in another sport that wasn't baseball. Um, but in baseball, they talk about when your team goes on off, or on offense, if you will. When you're at bat, you score. Go up one nothing in the game. Your pitcher goes out the next half inning, and you call it a shutdown inning. The goal is to put up a zero so that you win the inning. You know, it's it's that same concept in football. When you go and you score, the defense's goal the next time is for the shutdown inning. Get get that offense off the field with a zero. 
When you take the lead 25-22, your defense has to respond in that situation. And it's just the first few plays right after that, I think, was the biggest plays of the game. When Utah is down 25-22 with a backup quarterback and a backup running back, they stayed aggressive. They do the the keep. What's the concept there? The little quick shove it into the gutter of the running back, pull it back out, and then seven yard over the middle of the tight end. They must have ran that play five times in the second half, and it was working every time. Yeah, it's an RPO, so it's run pass option. When when you see the linebackers bite on the zone read or the run or a power or whatever the run is, and and he's reading all Shelley is doing is reading the inside backer. So he's reading Travis Die. Uh, he's reading Nua. He's reading Sims. If you may, if you jump that run. I'm going to pop pass, and you, you're right. The tight ends caught the ball nine times. Nine times. And they're not on the receiving sheet here. You got Britton Covey has 50 catches. Sampson Nakua had 25. Uh, Damarian Simpson, Simpkins, he had 16. Your, your, your tight ends, uh, Fatherham. Is it Fatherham? Fatherham? Yeah, something like that. Fatheringham. <laughs> Fatheringham. Sounds such a Utah name. Oh, a Utah name. Yeah, Whittingham, Fotheringham. And, and and Brent Guthrie, I mean, 40, 47 yards on four catches. So both tight ends, almost 10 catches between them. That was that RPO was worked so successful. They were getting five, six, seven yards on that RPO, which was quite impressive. It kept those drives going. Yeah. It's almost like a run. But again, Shelley putting that ball in a tight spot because they were covered very well. I, I thought... Uh, Ugo Amadi had some really tight coverages on him, and he popped it in there. He did. I mean, and I w- it seemed like his average depth of throw was probably about seven yards in this game. I think that's a good job by Troy Taylor to put that into the game plan. You say, hey, we might test him down the field every now and then, but they didn't really go down the field with Shelley's arm until that one throw that beat Amadi on the drag coming across the field that got him down inside the 10-yard line. A couple good extensions, though, by Shelley. We saw it at, by Justin Herbert, and that's what he does so well. Boy. You extend plays. Justin Herbert, without some of those rushes on third and fifteen, where would where would Oregon be if he didn't have to, he he avoided the, the rush because again it was pressure. Yeah, he was hurried and pressured eighty percent of the time, and he made some things happen with his feet, and so did Shelley. All right, what are your expectations for the Ducks going forward, Duck fan? At five zero three four one seven seventy five seventy five, I asked on Twitter, <laughs> are you excited for the Vegas Bowl, baby? Uh, shout out Maury Brown of <laughs> Forbes. He says, not really. <laughs> also, another Duck fan says, uh, I'm excited for any bowl at this point. You can reach us at 1029 The Game. Peter Sampson's got an update. You can follow us on Twitter at 1029 The Game. Follow the 1029 750 The Game Facebook page as well. Getting a lot of uh, audience interaction there, too. Just had uh, Crazy Mike call in a second ago, and... Oh, there you go. He He's going to have to call in here in just a second. He said he was going to stay on hold, and then he left during the commercial break. But we'll get to Crazy Mike's reaction here coming up as the Ducks lose in this one. 32-25. to 25. You can also call in at 503-417-7575. Uh, Neil Lomax, Chudanubi here with the Oregon College Football Postgame Show. Asking you what's the most disappointing part about this one and getting some response uh alonzo chimes in on twitter saying losing to a backup qb nrb play calling slash lack of execution oregon is more talented than most teams but aren't playing like it gotta agree with you there uh alonzo yeah especially when you have your left tackle has more passing yards receiving than johnny johnson the third Okay, Steve. <laughs> Stephen Steve, Jones. Stephen Jones caught a ball, folks. Uh, Your left tackle. 
It was a nice tip ball. By the way, it's legal for your uh, ineligible receivers to catch a ball if it's tipped by a defensive player. Just want to update. That, that is illegal. Update a ruling here right. that it's legal, yes. even though they're they're a, they're illegal receivers. They're mm-hmm. not eligible receivers. It was tipped. That's pretty cool, though. And when you get those big boys, and they they when they recover a fumble or they they catch a pass. I mean, come on, that's that's like high school days for those guys. Way back, they probably never even did in high school or Pop Warner because in Pop Warner. They're too heavy to carry the ball. So you got to throw him a popsicle. That's why I give, give, give Stephen Jones a little He caught a ball, but you know what? Justin Herbert rather him knock it down because it was for minus two yards. Yeah. But then Johnny Johnson catches the ball for minus four yards. Neil, have you ever uh, interacted with Crazy Mike on the telephone? And, and what makes him crazy? He's not crazy. He's actually, he, he brings the heat. He might have the most uh, rationality of it all. Peter, so then Peter, he's, not, then he's know, not crazy. You know, Mike. So this is the Mike in Portland, yeah? I believe so. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I know, Mike. I believe so. Let's go out to him right now. This is the Mike, right, Mike? No, this is not the Mike. This is the other Mike. <laughs> oh, okay, the other Mike. All right, all right. What's your takeaway? Yeah. From, you know who we're talking about, though, right? Yeah, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, the yeah. other Mike, the opinionated Mike. Yeah, <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I mean, all all of you guys, you guys got the well, we, hot We all hot should be takes. opinionated, yeah. 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 Well, okay, what is, yeah. uh, what's your opinion on this one, Mike? Well, Judah and uh, Neil, I just, uh, you know, Neil, I, I know you, you've probably seen every offense, man. You Pro Bowl quarterback, you know, college legend and everything, man. And your honest opinion, man, what do you think about Mario Cristobal? I mean, I, I mean, honestly, man, if, if you – how about this? If Jonathan Smith was the coach of Oregon, what do you think Oregon's record would be? Yeah, that that that's hard to speculate. It really is. It's Jonathan Smith's first year or two as a head coach, and you know he he's a beaver. She, he's he's in in his lane being with Oregon State. You know Mario Cristobal was there last year with Marcus Arroyo. That's that's the thing, Mike. I'm having a hard time. It's not as really his first year. He was there all last year. He knows what he's getting out of Justin Herbert. He knows what he's getting. But he's an offensive line guy, and you get you get stuck in those trenches and go, man, we're going to be tough. We're going to be physical. Run downhill. Well, they had two or three injuries. And quite honestly, Mike, I, I said this on the show, I want to see some film and, and decide. But offensively, with the line, they were terrible. I saw five or six miscommunications, missed blocks, pass protection was terrible. Justin Herbert's running around for his life. It made it look like they haven't practiced against this Utah front. So that is coaching. That is. I mean, do you think the offense I was I'm just thinking about it. Do you think the offense, how would the offense, I mean, like, how would you? Th- how do you think it would look under Jonathan Smith as opposed to Arroyo? And, and, and I mean, I think Herbert with the Jonathan Smith as coach, you're talking about something totally different than what you got with Cristobal and Arroyo. Well, then you're speculating I, if Chip Kelly was still there. No, and, I think he's yeah, got a point, man. Uh, well, this is a run-first offense with one of the best quarterbacks in the country. Why can't it be pass-first for this guy? Because I, I think they're understanding that Dylan Mitchell is maybe the only guy, Mike, they can really go to on man-to-man when you have a, a cover zero or a cover one, which means man with only one free. Who am I going to? He goes to Dylan Mitchell. So where is Johnny Johnson? Where is... Jacob Breland. Where is Brandon Schooler besides just some possession route? Where's Jalen Red besides these little four great catches for two-point plays? I don't see it a lot, so I don't see any other playmakers that are really assisting this quarterback who could go in the first round. But Mike, I, I, I know your point because you want to give Herbert more chances and, and more aggressive opportunities down the field, right? 
Yes, and the, but the thing I'm worried about is what is Oregon after Herbert leaves? I mean, I, I'm just afraid that. That's a better question, it, right it, there. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's going to hit rock bottom with. Her. I mean, uh, it's all good. It, it's somewhat good now, but who's the next Herbert? And can Mario Cristobal and and Arroyo develop a, a quarterback that might not be as good as Herbert? I mean, I, I'm, I'm afraid. <laughs> I, I just don't know. I, I don't know what the future brings, but I'm I'm not I'm not too high on it. Yeah, Mike, thanks for the phone call, man. Yeah, we'll get in line, I think, Mike. I think uh, there's thousands of Duck fans that agree with you that what what is this going, what's going on, and it does. It, it, guys, it always starts with the offensive line and with your playmakers. Have time. Uh, if folks who watch that game, at least 75% of the time, Justin Herbert had to adjust. Justin Herbert had to extend a play. Justin Herbert had to move around a little bit. If it wasn't a catch-shuffle throw, a quick game as we call it, it was a downfield throw. He was under pressure and harassed most of the time. Okay, I, I understand his point. And just for the record, from a backup quarterback position, you got Braxton Burmeister. I think we have enough of a sample size with Braxton to evaluate what kind of quarterback he is. Uh, Tyler it's, Shuck. It's not that good. Tyler, Tyler Shuck. They Tyler think. Shuck is the guy that, if you're talking about Oregon's future, you want to start riding that. They also have a Cade Millen, I believe, Hugh Millen's yep. son. That's a a, commu- uh, a commit, I should say, to the Oregon Ducks. So, you know, you got to be thinking about that as well as far as future quarterback talent. But, you know, it, it was one of the – that was a huge question in the Mark Helfrich area was the lack of ability to recruit from the ground up a quarterback after Marcus Mariota. You had to go from the outside in to bring in Verdon Adams. You had to go from the outside in to bring in Dakota Prukop. And then you had to grow Justin Herbert, who was a three-star from, you know – Right in your backyard, in order to even find this guy. And but, can I just say, like, and there, you can. There, there's a thank you, thank yeah, rhetorical. Uh, here on the radio, asking if I could say something. I love it. Um, I'm not really sure. I mean, can you point to a huge win that Justin Herbert has? And before everybody points to me, you dub overtime when he was decent, but not even great in that game. Can you point to a huge win that Justin Herbert's had? Because I think if it's... So the John Canzano signature, the signature win? Okay, but would you not agree that it's important to have a signature win? So if they would have beat Utah today, you think that would be a signature win? I don't think so. I think they expected the win. They should have won this game. I mean, you find out on Wednesday, besides a starting quarterback, you have the you have Zach Moss out, and you can't get your team ready, or you just took it for granted, nonchalantly rolling the rice Eccles Stadium, rolling the Salt Lake City, and we're going to beat you guys. I give a lot of credit, Kyle Winningham and Troy Taylor and that staff, to motivate. They came together in the locker room. You know that that team all gathered and says, you know what, Shelly, we got your back. We got your back. We're, we're there. We're going to play that much hard. That motivated Utah more than Oregon. I'm disappointed the coaches didn't get Oregon ready to play. They were sloppy. Terrible in pass protection. Did not score enough points. That's the bottom line in this league now. In any league, any of these conferences, you got to be scoring over 28 points to win these football games. That's the way it is. You look at the Big 12, Big 10. This is not the SEC. It's the Pac-12. You better be scoring. And with that kind of offense, with that quarterback, I expect Oregon to score over 28 points in a game. Yeah, I mean, I think of how they played at Washington State and how they played at Arizona, a bad football team. 
the only good road win that they have, heck, the only road win that they have, is that Cal. Yeah. But they had a pick six and a, you know, a fumble return touchdown. Strip and score. Strip and score. You have those two things, that helps you win that game 42-24, and we know what Cal is on offense. So, and the problem with, I was there. Day five of fall camp, they had it at Nike. I went and covered it for the station. One of the first points Mario Cristobal said to us in his media was, well, hey, you know, Coach, why are you bringing him out here to, to Beaverton, you know? It's like, well, we were a bad team on the road last year. And he didn't say Willie's name, but that's the insinuation is under Willie Taggart, we were a bad team on the road. A lot of lack of discipline, a lot of blowout losses, a lot of close losses. They were terrible on the road. They were terrible in the Vegas Bowl away from home. And his point at that practice in Beaverton was, well, we want to get these guys used to getting on a bus, going on the road, going through our process, executing a good, decent fall camp practice in an uncomfortable environment or a different environment from Autzen. Nike's not exactly uncomfortable, if you will. So 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 a 90-minute bus ride. A 90-minute bus ride to Beaverton's going to prove that point? So that's his... Right. (laughs) I understand. But that's his overall, like, motivation for doing that. I'm I'm following you there, but also he... Go ahead, let you finish your thought, and I'll chime in my, my opinion. Just to button it up, though, I mean, they've just been terrible on the road. In in starting the games, which if you're talking about playing well on the road, the most important thing is to start well. And they've been terrible starting on the road. Neil, so, I mean, you've, you've played in a lot of tough environments. So, does something change in your home games, in your road games, your preparation, your mindset, your mentality? Like, what is it with 18 to 22-year-olds that can't get it done away from home? Yeah, that's why these are three-dimensional athletes. And I don't think enough emphasis has talked about the, the mental part of this game. From the coaching standpoint, especially, to get these guys mentally into a game, mentally focused, mentally disciplined. You know, Jordan Kent and I talk about that a lot. And then the heart. Where's your heart in this? Do you guys really feel it? I saw the heart come out with these youths, man. All the way to the eagle on the helmet. Was that the freedom bird now for the Utes? But they were, their heart was motivation enough to get them over the hump and beat the Ducks today. That was, that's what I saw. Utah won this game a lot more than Oregon did. All right, we'll have more post game coming up. You can chime in at 503 417 7575. We'll also go live to Salt Lake, taking you up to 8 o'clock. Ducks lose 32 25. Your reaction, more of it on Twitter, Facebook, and on the phones coming up on the game. James Crampio of the Oregonian will join us in 10 minutes. I want to be here for that. Taking your reaction on the phones at 503-417-7575. Someone uh, tweets in and says, um, oh, Alonzo on Twitter says, Mike shouldn't have held back. LOL. Thinking that uh, caller Mike should have just kept going, taking it to another level. Basically, caller Mike, if you missed it in our previous segment, and you can... Find this uh, post-game show podcast on 1029thegame.com coming up later tonight. But if you missed it, Mike called in and was basically saying, hey, like, if Mario Cristobal and Marcus Arroyo weren't our offensive coordinators, if we had a different offense, if Jonathan Smith was the offensive coordinator of the Oregon offense, what would it look like? Arguably, it would look a lot better. Um and I had to agree with them, man. I mean, I think if you think of the Jonathan Smith offense as being somewhere in between Mike Leach's air raid and Oregon's rush first priority, I think that's fair, right? He's kind of a balance between the two. You got a guy like Jamar Jefferson tearing it up, and you got a guy like Luton that can throw for 300 yards in one half, like he did against Colorado. And you got Hodgins on the outside and Bradford in the slot. That's a pretty conventional three by one balanced offense that you have in Oregon State, who, by the way, statistically, 
It's been a better offense in Oregon this year in teams of, in terms of offensive yardage. <laughs> they they've been better because they're behind most of the time. Well, okay, so you I get behind. Game flow those, has the, something to do with it, but the, conceptually, Neil, I mean, doesn't it feel like Justin Herbert with all his talent? It's getting held back a little bit by the system. It does to me. It does not feel like there's a lot of advanced concepts in the passing system for a guy that has the ability to execute at a high level. Well, let's, let's just say this. The entire Oregon team this Oregon season so far has been underachieving. Let's go across the board. I think Mario Cristobal would say that for the coaches, offense, defense, even special teams. I mean, the field goals. He, I mean, stacks at 50%. I mean, are you kidding me? Every other one he's missing. So you go down the board, and they're underachieving. This is not a very good football team. And we were swayed and fell in love with the Sexy Ducks because their first three games, and then they really should have blown out, should have beat Stanford, should have, until that debacle for three or four series there. But let's just, I digress. Right now, I don't know if a John Smith or you bring in a Mike Leach, right? I mean, that's a totally different animal. But, you know, when John Smith was with Chris Peterson, Depends what talent you had. They were a run-first kind of team up at the Huskies at Boise State. They weren't just throwing the ball over the yard, but it depends on personnel. And you're right. If a Justin Herbert doesn't come along all the time, a Marcus Mariota doesn't come along all the time, you put that chemistry together with a guy like a Chip Kelly or Mike Leach, you're going to see fireworks. This team has no fireworks. And that's the disappointing thing. And, I, again, they're underachieving. And uh, on Twitter, you're getting at us. Let's see. Donovan says, how is Herbert going to get a signature win when he has only one wide receiver that gets open? <laughs> uh, point made by Donovan. I Again, I think part of it is the supporting cast in the receiving core is better than they currently show, and they're not getting opportunities because there's not enough diversity in the pass tree. And... You know, I didn't play any quarterback, Neil, so I could be wrong. Diversity on that. in the passing tree. Do you even think they have a passing tree? I don't think. I think they're they're a concept team. They're not well, a passing tree. I guess team, that's what which I meant. means route. They're still yeah. they're still running slants and goes and hooks. Let's face it. There's not so no. Then everybody's why, stealing from everybody. Then why was this receiving core better last year than they are this year with a full year of offseason development? Why, pass why is that the case? My my first go is pass protection. Well, Justin Herbert had more time. He had a little better. They need quicker throws then. Well, you press man. You saw some quicker throws on that fourth and two. Look what happened, a fourth and three. Got they went up. pressed. They went quick slants across the board. It's a catch, shuffle, throw. It's a quick game. And I tell you what, Jalen Johnson made a hell of a play, knocked that ball away from uh, Mitchell. And he, he, I mean, let's say, face it, when Justin Herbert needs to make a completion, needs to make a throw, who's he going to? 13. 13. 13. So teams know that. You're going to tag him and put a safety on top. And teams are doing that now and letting still the Jacob Breelands. He had let eight the, for 169. You're letting Brandon score go and haven't had his four or five catches for 43 yards. He's not going to hurt. Even C.J. Vardell caught it three times for 64 yards. He had some nice little option routes. But no one else is popping out of the box going, wow. And they're not even targeting. But, again, today, the obvious thing to me was Justin Herbert had no time to go downfield. A lot of pressure on him. All right, we'll go live to Salt Lake coming up. James Crepe of the Oregonian Oregon Live. One hour down. I've got I've got more to come, baby. I'm just getting started. Lomax is just getting started. One more hour on the postgame show. Sean says on Twitter, there is no excuse for how they are starting games on the road. 100% agree with you, Sean. This is three straight weeks of hapless first-half football on the road. What is happening? We'll talk to James Crepe coming up. You can call in at 503-417-7575. <laughs> Welcome.
Welcome to the Oregon College Football Postgame Show with Judah Newby and Neil Lomax. Presented by Frost Brewed Coors Light on 1029 and 750 The Game. Oregon Falls 32-25. 503-417-7575. Taking your reaction as well as on Twitter. KCLEEK73 on Twitter says, This was the worst refed and broadcasted game I've ever seen from the Pac-12. Well, hey. That's a pretty low bar to crack. The worst that you've ever seen. I won't say it's the worst referee. There were a couple questionables, but yeah, not, not enough to cause don't, Oregon Don't the blame game. the execution no. or the offense or the defense. Let's go with Yogi Roth and I the officials, say, and that made your experience bad. I Holy, will say, come on. The, uh, the, the, the young man or woman running the camera... That's a tough, tough second half there. Was it? Uh, was the stadium shaking? Was there yeah. an earthquake? And like, uh, man, some conventional play actions. They would just follow the football down the field when it was still in Herbert's hands. It was pretty bad. Uh, James Crepia didn't have to worry about any of that because he was there live uh, watching the football game. And now he's joining us from Salt Lake City right now. James, where to begin from this one in your mind? Well, to me, it has to start with run defense. Uh, I know there's going to be plenty of people who want to start on the offense. Listen, folks, this is pretty simple. No matter how woeful you want to say the offense was in the first half, Oregon regained the lead. And they didn't abandon their identity to get back into it either. The defense came through for a long time in the second half. It got to the lead with a block punt and a short field there. But the run defense, this is now three straight weeks. If you want to say that J.J. Taylor is a fine back, fine. He had a big night, but he's a fine back. Okay, if you want to say that Josh Kelly was the only thing that UCLA wanted to rely on, hey, that's fine. But you cannot tell me, I'm sorry, you can't tell me that Armand Shine was going to have 170-something yards, 160 yards tonight, and that's acceptable. No matter how much Utah relies on its run game, no matter who the running back is, you cannot allow a second-string running back with 160 yards in the season entering this game to top that tonight. You can't do it and expect to win. Oops, I gotta yeah. agree with you there, James. And to be to be uh, you know honest, I think it was easy for me to to look at how Shelley played, even though not a ton was asked for him and eighteen for thirty one. But uh, Shelley didn't turn the football over. He came close once or twice, but he didn't turn the football over, and that's a good thing. But you know, and I mentioned this in the post game earlier as well, James, and I want your thoughts as well. But on paper, I thought Oregon would have a decent run defense and at times they've had a good didn't they in September and October play pretty decently against the run maybe the first couple of games like against Cal I felt like they played pretty well against the run against Stanford they held them to under four yards of carry and Bryce Love played pretty good against the run and with a Jordan Scott Troy Dye and Ugo Amadi I thought that you had a run stopping player at every level of your defense but James they certainly haven't played that way no they haven't they have, and I think a lot of it was smoke and mirrors early on. It's all what it is. They were playing, uh, you know, a Stanford team that, yeah, they contained Bryce Love, but he really wasn't. You know, he wasn't. Let's let's face it, he was not. <laughs> he was not at 100. percent Let's put it that way. Sure. That's not to take away from what they did that night, but that was that night. All right, and then Cal. Well, their their backup quarterback goes out. Well, I don't know if he's the backup or the starter anymore. He goes week to week. They change, but nevertheless, that guy rushes for over 100 yards. All right, well, you want to say dual threat? It's hard. Okay, and ultimately some of it was some garbage yards. Sure. But again, I get back to these last three weeks. You can't just keep doing this. You can't. And sooner or later, you have to really start to ask yourself, what is going on with this defense against the run? Now, did they come up with some big plays across and big stops, particularly in the second half? Yeah, they did. They did. But eventually, and on the night as a whole, 
I forget exactly, I have to go back and look at the statute exactly, whether it was 26 or 29 carries to sign that up with, but bottom line, two of those accounted for, you know, 83 yards. So you don't just throw them out the window and say they didn't happen. You know, they're two ginormous plays. So his numbers are a little bit skewed because of that, but nevertheless, you're still getting probably about four yards of carry without those runs. Mm. So you still have to get back to the fact that the guy who, he may be a fine player eventually, but right now he was not the starter. And he came in, and he more than filled up to the void left by Zach Moss. And with a backup quarterback, leading him no less. So, who, yeah, Jason Shelley may not have turned the ball over, and he may not have had to do a whole lot. He just executed who was asked of him. Well, credit to him for that. But the backup running back, who no one really had the time to prepare for, like we talked about before the game, no one had a chance to prepare for that this week. Utah didn't have a chance to prepare for that this week. Not in earnest. He goes out and has a huge night. Well, some of that is scheme, and some of that is credit to him, and some of that has to fall on the fault of the defense. The defense did not stop the run yet again against an opponent who, frankly, it probably, when you know that they're going to lean on the run that much, it's, inex- it's inexplicable to me that, that he was able to have the kind of night that he had. If you're going to be devoted to it, you know, and, and if you're going to be uh, taking pride in stopping the run, how has it happened now three straight weeks? Yeah. Hey, James, yeah, Armand Shine. 26 carries, 174 yards, a 42 long and a 28 long. That's what you're talking about. And I kind of flip it over to you talking about the defensive line. But, yeah, we had some – I mean, Oregon had the injuries. We talked about Stephen Jones going to left tackle. And Throckmorton's got to go to center. And Lemieux's got to make sure he stays – Warmack. I I mean, you saw it from your level. I'm watching on TV the breakdowns and pass protection. It was every other pass play. There was some breakdown. I don't know if it was scheme or communication, but there was a untouched rusher half the time, if not three out of four times, putting pressure on Justin Herbert. There was a lot. There was. There absolutely was. And some of that is what Utah does. Um, and then talked to a couple of offensive linemen after the game about that. And Calvin said, yeah, that a lot of it, especially early on, what I think was the first sack, uh, I saw you know two linebackers just come right down the middle. Yeah. Um, where one was taken on by Verdell, credit to him, for putting up a fight, but the other one has a clean shot on just on that play. Uh, then you have, all right, well, the sack fumble on the second drive. It's pretty well protected as a whole, but I think it was Tony Brooks James, wasn't that, who was trying to pass block there, and man beats him and gets a sack, and there you go. It's off to the races. It's a fumble, and Utah recovers inside Oregon territory. Well, again, it's really hard to – I know everybody wants to – bash the offense or do this or that, it's hard to really put a lot on Justin Herbert when he was getting pressured quite as much right. as he was, in particular in the first half. Hard to really put a lot on the coaches when, when they can't go out there and block for them. Uh, now, if you want to say, well, they should have done more to you know, put them in six or seven or eight-man protections, well, all right, you can get into philosophy, but it, sooner or later it gets back to, is this what Oregon does or not? Um, look, they stepped to the run game early on. There wasn't a ton of success. Eventually they broke free for the run later on. So it's really hard to knock that philosophically speaking. Travis Dye came in for an injured C.J. Verdell, excuse me, and and he delivered in the fourth quarter, helped deliver the lead. Ultimately, there's a whole long list of injuries after this one, guys. Uh, we got a little bit of an update from that from Chris Ball after the game. This is a pretty long list now, and mm-hmm. there's going to be varying seriousness, but there is a long list of injuries after this game yeah and uh, you know i encourage the audience to be following you on twitter at james crepia and i'm looking at your piece right now with that 
uh, injury update, and like a lot of guys are featured on here, as you said, James. I mean, Habibi Lakio, who we don't see very much anyway, but he's got a leg contusion. We saw Stephen Jones go out. I mean, Verdell uh, got dialed back significantly as this game went along. You know, what can you do to update us? Let's just start with uh, the guys on the offensive side of the ball that are banged up, uh, Verdell and Jones in particular. Yeah, so uh, without speculating too much, because there just wasn't a lot of detail, it was just, you know, Mario was just rattling off names. Um, but clearly, Verdell's out. You have to think that it has to go back to the hip again that was suffered against Washington State. Um, this has been a couple of weeks now where he's gone down on runs or pass blocks, whatever the case was. I think that's his issue. The leg contusion to Cyrus a week, you I believe, happened on special teams. He was walking out on crutches after the game. Certainly not a great sign, though it doesn't necessarily mean something's broken or fractured. It just, you know, that same plenty of players on crutches or walking boots, and it doesn't mean much, but that's something you want to see. Uh, so Cyrus is on crutches. Uh, trying to remember now, Stephen Jones, I had to come out earlier on in the fourth quarter, and you saw George Moore take over at left tackle. Uh, it looked looked like a, con- a concussion, certainly a head injury. He came out of the locker room very losing, was being helped on his way to the bus. Uh, so certainly not a great sign there when you're already thin. Uh, obviously, Dallas Warmack, whether it was merely injury-related or whether that was that they wanted to put Calvin at right guard at that point for the second half, not entirely sure. But nevertheless, they still, when they, when they had the chance to put Anson back in at center and you know move Throckmorton over to left tackle, they kept Jones in the game and moved Throckmorton to right guard. Uh, so not sure entirely what that is defensively. Samson New obviously comes out in the second quarter uh, following a stop there inside the 10. He came out, did not return to the game, unclear exactly what the injury was and, and how severe it is, but he didn't come back in. Uh, and it, I believe, yeah, Adrian Jackson, I think he hurt his arm uh, after recovering that fumble there on the block punt. I think that's everybody. And Drayton Carlberg, Eva Carlberg came back in. Uh, so I think that covers all the bases, but that's a long list, uh, obviously. And again, we, we don't know exactly the severity, but it certainly didn't look very good for Stephen Jones or for Cyrus of Ubiquio in, in the initial um, glance. Hey, James, uh, uh, Neil Lomax here. Speak to the, you know, you're there face to face on the sideline or getting the sense of why, why these starts? Why? The lack of, a, or is it pregame warm-ups? What is it that Oregon comes out like this and then just has played, the execution is poor, these these starts first quarter into the second quarter? It's been a consistent you know, narrative here that Oregon, not just on the road, but just why are they coming out so flat? And then here's Utah. Is it a coaching thing where it's the wounded dog theory? They got their starting quarterback, starting running back out, and they just have this energy, the heart of a champion. Yeah, and, and I think it, it is definitely more of a narrative on the road in particular, for sure, in particular that it goes back to last season, obviously. Uh, but, look, against Arizona, there you could really make it about coaching, no question, because the play calling was so erratic okay. and really not warm with what they did. So that was clear. I think that was pretty obvious to everybody. With Washington State and with this, Again, you're going to say that what they deviated from philosophy? No, but they stuck to the run <laughs> in both cases. They were able to get the lead tonight eventually by sticking to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were they were able to get back in the game at Wazoo. So you can't really say it was coaching necessarily from a play calling perspective. Okay, well, was it merely execution then? 
well, you're going to have to take a look at very specific plays. But, for instance, like I went back last week when people were criticizing offense or play calling and say it was too conservative or this and that, looked at some of the drives in the second and third quarters and identified and said, all right, well, here were the critical plays. And we, do you want to say it was play calling? Do you want to say it was too conservative or whatnot? On these various instances, there's a missed field goal, there's a you know, third mm-hmm. down, that there's a drop pass or whatever. Well, again, do you want to fault the play call? Or do you want to fault the fact that they missed the field goal and dropped the pass? Well, it's kind of a similar situation tonight, quite honestly, where, well, do you want to blame play calling just because it's the easiest thing for anybody to point fingers at without really knowing? Or do you want to say that there's drop passes, that you have running backs and pass protection that missed assignments, that you have offensive linemen who a credit to them and that they're going down the depth chart and they're trying, and they are, they're trying damn hard, but there are blown assignments or missed assignments. And Utah had a lot of pass rushes out there creating pressure all night on Justin Herbert. Well, sooner or later, that's not really play calls, guys. That's just, you know, sooner or later players just got to play <laughs> and execute their assignment. So that's where I think first of all, even addressed a little bit afterwards saying you have to say, uh, it was the play, was the call good? And if so, well, then if it's execution at one point or another, you got to find a way to get back to what the game plan was and not deviate too far from it and then get into panic mode. Then you get into scrambling and, you, and there's the, it's things that will start going aimlessly. I don't think Oregon aimlessly. I don't think things went aimlessly tonight. I don't. I don't. I think they stuck to certain, uh, certain philosophy. And again, they got back in the game. If you want to point to anything, say the defense did a fine job for the good part of the second half there, but ultimately Utah went right down and scored with a backup quarterback, a backup running back in about 87 seconds. Exactly right. 90, see, 90, that's, 90 that's seconds, they, they go 60 yards. You're right, James, 60 yeah, that, yards. To me, that's the most important drive of the game, you know, when you finally okay. go and take the lead. I mean, and did, what did the coaches and players kind of say about that drive by Utah in particular? Well, it started off with, uh, well, it started off obviously with the, with the penalty of the kickoff uh, to Brady Breeze, which, as Mario called that, a, a senseless and inexcusable penalty there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that been at the 25, now you're off to the 40. So now you've got a team who's got one of the best kickers in America who already drilled the field goal going into halftime, knows that it has a relatively short field to go to put him into field goal range immediately. Right? You know you're going to tie the game almost without, without even doing anything with a kicker like that. Well, you have a couple of big plays. And Tom, we spoke to Thomas Graham afterwards, and they said, no, they knew that, that, that they had a deep threat when he got on the field, that that was somebody who they're going to be looking for. And credit to Utah for executing the play and getting in his hands. But it was nothing that they weren't expecting. Now, for fans who hear that, I know that you're not going to be too thrilled about hearing that right now, <laughs> that it wasn't like some great trickery or something that came out of you know, left field. They caught these guys flat-footed. No, Utah just executed the plays, dialed up the right plays at the right time, and executed them uh, on that drive. But it was tough to watch there in, in 87 seconds that if you finally get the lead, if you finally get the momentum, and it all disappears in the blink of an eye. Oh, I'm sure it was. And then, look, you still had a shot offensively. You still had a shot offensively with about six and change to go. Mm-hmm. And I think that near midfield. And, all right, hey, you, you, fourth down, you throw a ball to Dylan Mitchell, and, they make a play defensively to stop it. Well, uh, yeah, and that, that's a good point. I mean, they they had it at the plus 43, at the Utah 43, second and three, and Herbert gets sacked. And that kind of, you know, you talk about the critical plays, James, and I, I look at a drive when you're down four in plus territory, second and three, fourth quarter. 
you know, they're, they're all critical plays at that point. And yet there's the sack, which is, you know, fits into the narrative that it was a tough night for protection because now you go into third and long. And James, I mean, I'm sure you were seeing it as well. How often was Oregon in third and long in this game again? And the the couple that they picked up along the way, like was, Herbert, was Justin Herbert's extension plays right. exactly I mean, that behind the sticks like that, James again. Yeah, and then they start off that way where it's all for three to start the game, but then they convert for their next five, mm. and all four convert game on third and nine plus or seven plus, I believe, right. and uh, the only failed to convert was actually third and two where they passed. So there's so for everybody wants to do the conservative third and two they passed they didn't convert. Uh, then all right, then they move the sticks better in the second half certainly, but ultimately at the end, at the end after getting the lead, it was penalties where all night neither team was really committing any penalties at all, and then all of a sudden. Now you have a penalty for a sportsmanlike on a kickoff that wasn't even returned, no less. Right. Yeah. So yeah, so you have that. That's bad. Followed by, by you know, but now granted, you got a holding on a wide receiver. Who's usually not in that spot necessarily, but nevertheless, holding on a wide receiver, why is that a big play? There were there were penalties there on that final possession. That really, I really got defined. Second to last offensive possession that really were critical, really critical. And all of a sudden, you went from a night where. Utah didn't have any, and Oregon had one, and then Oregon starts committing all these penalties that ended up shooting themselves in the foot too many times there. Hey, J- hey James, I, I want to ask your opinion before we let you go about, was there a lot of head scratching or something, in, in this case, the Sunday morning quarterbacking on, there's five minutes left, Oregon's down by four, and it's fourth and five after that series we just talked about, the sack, the deflection, so it's fourth and five. I'm sitting there in my aggressive mode. I'm going, you know what, I'd punt it. I'd punt it, put him inside the 10-yard line, Defense just stopped him. They had a block uh, punt before that, and he goes for it. What was your gut reaction at that point? We did not. We did not ask Cristobal after it. Uh, after the game, that was going to be uh, to be something we certainly revisit on Monday. Um, here's a couple. Part of the reason why I didn't initially ask the one it was a little tight press conference, but two, um, why I didn't initially ask. This. Let's remember when it came down to fourth down conversions and things like that. They're, one, they're pretty good, and two, Mario has already said throughout this season that they're going to go for it a lot. Right. So I don't think I, at that particular moment when it's like, all right, I have to ask this, I have to ask this, I just take it on the assumption in the short term that Marrow is just going to be aggressive. There, okay. First off. Okay. They're already in territory. Third, and perhaps most importantly, I don't know if Carl Burke was back at that particular point. However, the punt before that, that was when he got hurt and went down. Hmm. Okay. Now, granted, Utah doesn't have to pressure. You know, they already got the lead. You don't have to necessarily pressure to try and block it. However, if you're already dealing with what was probably a little bit of a close kick the last time and one of your protectors was out, do you want to do that again from plus territory where you have to assume in making that decision that it is not going to be downed inside the 5 or inside the 10, that it is going to be a touchback? Yeah, that's the 20. You're right. I mean, that's... Difference of about 15 yards, is that really that critical to you as opposed to, or <laughs> you can try to keep the ball in the best player, the best quarterback, and, and get it to the best wide receiver. Well, and Jalen Johnson made a hell of a play. I mean, that number one, the corner yeah, came in, slapped true. that right hand around, left hand came in front, yeah. knocked that ball down. Give that kid credit. I bet they worked on that in practice because they, they had a couple of PBUs on inside slants today that, that most Pac-12 teams don't do. James, uh, you've been so generous with your time. We got Thanks, one, James. one more, uh, like, if you in 30 seconds, what happened at the end of the game? P- Twitter is still fired up about this. The end of the game, what's kind of going on there? 
All right, so bottom line, guys, if you, and, and Mario said it as much. You didn't get an explanation from the officials, but you start walking through from his own perspective. You have three, if you have three seconds on the clock, you can spike the ball by rule, okay? Inside of two, you cannot spike the ball and still execute a play. No matter what the clock may say, by rule, you can't do it, okay? So when they're going up to the clock, when they're going, running up the field trying to get one more play in there, they thought initially that the clock was round back and it was at three seconds. So they thought they could initially thought they could spike and get a play in. When it became clear to them that that was not the case, now granted everybody's running up the field as a matter of seconds, but it became clear to the sideline that they could not do that, they were trying to signal in to Justin to run a pass play rather than spike it because they realized that they would not be able to do that and still get a playoff. So there's really no argument with that. Now, what was bad was, even if that is exactly the case, and by rule, absolutely, quarter, the game is over, okay? What's bad is, and what you can chastise the officials for is, then explain that, say that to the fans, both in the stadium and who are watching at home, on your microphone, rather than game over and start walking off the field, number one. Number two, say that to the coach, who may not know that, but Mario did. And number three, when you are walking up the field, well, what is that? When you realize that there might might just be a review, what was the rush to run out of the stadium? Yeah, they were halfway in the locker room. Asking Pac-12 <laughs> officials the, to was... communicate well is uh, that's it's like asking me to do my homework in middle school. No. That's why I said they can't get out of their own way because that's something where the officials, even technically speaking, were correct the whole time. But because of their ineffectiveness of communicating it to everybody, it further feeds the perception of the complete ineptitude of referees and about this conference where they were absolutely right but you can't manage it that way and you can't communicate it so ineffectively mm -hmm. what does it mean to say two sentences by rule you cannot spike the ball inside of two seconds and execute a play by rule the game is over period end of sentence you can run from home now yeah. but you had to run so quickly and just say up oh, game over and then run off and get stopped in the end zone and told to come back. That, that looks ridiculous. Where's Ed Hockley when you need him? You know, with the lawyer-like explanations. Uh, James, we got to get you in studio for a roundtable sometime and, uh, you know, really flesh it out. We just had you on the phone for a half hour. Great stuff as always. You're the best. Sounds good, guys. Thanks, Thanks James. Yeah, follow him on Twitter, at James Crepia. And, uh, yeah, let's go ahead and uh, go to break. We'll get, I'm going to podcast that conversation as well. That'll be good for the fans to get, too. But, uh, Neil, James uh, broke it down pretty well. And, look, I, you know, on that fourth down play, we'll talk about that on the other side of this timeout. I was sitting there live time. You heard me. I was like, go for it. Go for it. Go for it. Plus territory, fourth down. What are you going to lose? You had the other side. You know, I'm processed over results, but the results didn't go very well for Oregon on that one. So, Samson's got an update. We'll hit a commercial break. We'll come back in a few minutes. More post-game on 102.9-750 the game. You know, I am a process over results guy. But the big question now is, at what point do you change your process? At what point do the results tell you that your process is wrong? And it takes a lot of humility to to change the process that has gotten you to a certain point, even if you're a first-year head coach. So whatever Mario Cristobal's process is to, let's start with, get his team ready to play on the road. I think it's time to reevaluate and perhaps change that process because the results are telling you that the process is certainly not perfect and you got to go fix those imperfections. Offensively for the Oregon Ducks. Whatever their process is in terms of game plan and strategy, I think it's also time to self-evaluate a little bit because even though there's pockets of greatness, the consistency isn't there. 
And the first half consistency certainly isn't there either. Neil Lomax joins me. He is the College Football Hall of Famer. He played a decade long in the NFL. I did not do either of those things. But I, uh, you know, I do like to uh, watch a lot of football, and I take it seriously. I'm an active consumer. Like, I try to learn with every game. And, Neil, I will never get to the point of knowledge or analysis that you can bring. Uh, You've forgotten much football than I will ever know. But that said, that said, where is the line? You know, how much of the criticism against the offense that you've been hearing so far is fair? And how much of the criticism against the offense would you say, you know what, I don't think that is completely fair because that goes to a deeper football level than the layman will never know. But at some point, the results do speak for themselves. Yeah, we all have our opinions, though. That's why I love when the callers call in. They they see the game, too, and they feel the game as well. Like, you know, I had a difference of opinion right there with five minutes left. My gut, for some reason, at that point, my gut was like, you know what? Punt the ball. And nine out of ten times, I would never have said that. I'm, I'm with Mark. I, I was shocked. Go, I, I dropped my drink. I'm, I'm like, sitting what? there going, oh, it's full. They didn't look clean. Doesn't look clean. Punt the ball. Five minutes left. Punt the ball. I don't know why that. But that's how I would be when I'm coaching high school or college. Sometimes you, you you go by gut, and coaches have to do that instead of just going by analytics and the numbers. And now with the injuries to all these running backs, with C.J. Vardell, go maybe now process changes to the philosophy changes that we better throw more. We might go more two-by-two. We might go empty. We're talking about, let's go five receivers. Let's see what these other guys can do. You know, running game, the process so far, so far, especially, like you said, on the road, has not worked. And I think you're getting beat by teams that aren't as talented, maybe as skill-wise, because we're still falling in love with the skill of Justin Herbert and the guys around him. And I believe what Mario Cristobal said from the get-go in early August and September. This is the best offensive line I ever had. These guys are warriors. These guys are the best. Are they? Had some injuries, no question. Pinel Sewell being Pinay Sewell being hurt has really hurt them. Uh, but they haven't had the consistent front up there to run the ball well or pass protect. So, uh, but again, I love the, the the novice fan. I mean, even though you might have played in the league and the NFL levels, I still can't get this. I picked Oregon to win by what thirteen. I picked Oregon State to be in a really, really close. Now, it might happen. Folks, you're watching on TV. Stanford just put 34 in Oregon State, and there's still two minutes left in the half. And I said, hey, this could be a really close game. By the way, the tight end of Parkinson for Stanford, guess how? Guess what his stats are right now? Don't don't look. Well, J.J. are set a white side out. Yep. I'm going to say he's caught nine balls. Well, he's got five. Five. For a buck 43. Woo! Tight end. Four touchdowns. <laughs> Six five four touchdowns. Six five. It's not even halftime for one guy. JJ was in the game too. All right, Scott is in Beaverton. Scott, what's going on? I just want to say that I'm not a football guru, but I could predict eighty percent of Oregon's play calls tonight. And if a defensive coordinator in college football could probably predict ninety percent of what we were going to do tonight. A little so. too predictable for you. Absolutely. I mean, I cannot believe how Cristobal, or not Cristobal, but Arroyo. Arroyo. Yep. Arroyo. He's, he's got to make a bunch of new decisions, widen the field, do something to get this offense to look with some variety. It's unbelievable how they are so predictable. And I don't I'm not a football guy, but it's tough to watch anymore. 
I appreciate the the phone call, Scott, and he's speaking for thousands and thousands of other fans, Neil. Yeah, and, and, and Scott's right is saying, you know, play selection is one thing. Predictability is also in that same sentence of, oh, it's a running play. Oh, it's off tackle. Oh, it's this. But, folks, I'm telling you, plays selection is one thing. The execution of it is what's key, is what I look at as a former player and watching it and looking at Again, when you watch film and you call certain pass play or certain running play and you see the poor execution by a left guard or your tight end or even Brendan Schooler, the wide receiver who reaches out and holds after a 15-yard very good running play or a bubble screen, but he holds. So now it's back to first and 20. So see, that's what most fans, the predictability is, we all get that. You want to be creative. I didn't see a whole lot of specials. You know, they didn't really try any reverses or double passes, and that's what I like. I think Scott's got a point. There should be a little more creativity, especially in a close game, and you're behind. you got to find something. you got to pull some rabbit out of your hat once in a while, but execution is the key, and it's so easy in practice to do it. Why aren't they able to do it game time? Well, and it also begs the question, what would this team be without Dylan Mitchell? Because he goes 8 for 169 and two touchdowns, which makes this the seventh straight game he's had at least 6 and 100. No one in program history has ever done that. No one. And by the way, Neil, you'll like this. Darren Carrington was at the game today. Was he eligible? He was Who was wear- he playing he for? He was wearing Utah <laughs> colors. Ooh. On the Utah sideline. Well, he's not a loyal guy. I mean, come on. One year you're Oregon, one year you're Utah. I don't care about Darren Carrington. And God bless. Good for Dylan Mitchell. But that just tells me again, though, you don't have other guys, other playmakers to spread the love. And that's what you need on an offense like this with a quarterback like Justin Herbert. When they take away your number one guy, you got to be able to find number two and number three. And Oregon does not have those playmakers. It's not there right now. All right, more post-game reaction coming up. We'll read some more of your tweets at 1029 The Game. Sean says, I feel like they could be so much better. I want to support this coaching staff, but they have got to find a way to prepare better, especially on the road. Yeah, Sean, it's one of the common themes. More post-game. Neil Lomax, Junior Newbie, coming up. You're listening to the Oregon College Football Post Game Show with Judah Newby and Neil Lomax. Presented by Frost Brewed Coors Light on 1029 and 750 The Game. Judah, can I give you an Oregon State update, though? I want to make sure I came off the break. I want to intro us, Judah Newby, Neil Lomax. My Portland State Vikings went down. Okay, just update. People in the Portland, greater Portland area do want to know college football. Portland State lost at North Dakota 17-10, really close game. But right now, Oregon State got a turnover. They're down, what, 34-14 with 16 seconds left in the half. So that's that's your Beaver update. What did Portland State do, you say? They lost. 17-14? 17-10. But time 17-10. of possession oh my was God. crazy, right? It was like 40 minutes. They had like 40 minutes of time possession to their 30, 39-21, to 21, something like that. But Grand Forks, tough place to play. Dude, fear the fork, bro. I gotta stop calling you, bro, sir. It's all right. No, we're we're friends. We're, we hey, are bro. friends. That's true, dude. You call me, you know, whatever. But your players, your players, uh, at the uh, Fort Vac, they call you. It's coach. coach it's coach. Right? You, you, or yeah, Mr. Lomax. It's, yeah, there's no. Uh, hey, Neil. Hey, Bud. Hey, no, 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 no. You gotta right. respect. They're 16, 17 years old. What do you expect? Real quick, we'll we'll take a break. Another co- coming up because we uh, we owe you some commercials. But Oregon against Arizona State next week. What do you think? You know, the Ducks are a different team at home, but ASU's playing really well. 
Injuries. It's going to be interesting to see what the updates are on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday with offensive line linebackers. You know, if Sims is out too and Sampson Nail was hurt as well. Yep. You got some guys. You're down to your third string Mike. Wow. So that's a big part of it. And right now I would not be surprised. I already played ASU. I don't care about Vegas. Should be favored to win this game. Even though it's in Otson. Well, I think there's where your early value is. I'd be shocked if the Ducks are underdogs at home because I think Vegas would be very vulnerable making Oregon an underdog in Austin. Right. But I think when you're talking about on the field, I think the value would be on ASU as a probably a short underdog themselves. So you well, said two who, and a half. Playing, who's playing the best football right now? Oh, my goodness. ASU, ASU. no question. Look, no what they question. Did, look what they did at USC. Well, no JT Daniels, but yeah, they beat him 38-35. Who's going to cover Nikhil Harry? <laughs> That's gonna be nasty. Eno Benjamin. I mean, are you, are you kidding me? Over, yeah, dude. I would. Eno, I mean, we might have to look at that future line right now. Start betting. I'm not Manny, betting anymore, Vic. I Manny lost. I lost two grand. I lost two grand in this game. I'm not betting anymore. Quickly, other scores. Uh, Wazoo finishes on a 21 to nothing. Actually, they scored 31 unanswered. Wazoo did turned a seven nothing deficit into a 31 seven win. That's Validate City for Wazoo. Scoreless, just underway, Cal USC. 34-14, Stanford, Oregon State. And Arizona State beat UCLA, 31-28. All right, we'll go ahead and hit the post. We'll come back, final segment. We'll put a bow on this one. Look around some top 25 and check out next week's Pac-12 schedule as well. Cheer to newbie, Neil Lomax. One more segment on the postgame show on 102.9-750 The Game. Monday Night Football is heading to the bank. Join us Monday beginning at 4.30 p.m. as Odell Beckham Jr. takes his Giants to San Fran to battle DeForest Buckner and the 49ers. Buckner coming again, and again, again. DeForest Buckner was there. Your home of Westwood One's coverage of Monday Night Football is 1029 and 750 The Game. Brought to you by Milwaukee Lumber. Wow, look at these Black Friday prices on TVs. But I haven't heard of these brands, Element, Insignia, Polaroid. Oh, you don't have to take a chance on those brands. Not when you can get Samsung, LG, and Sony 4K TVs starting at $279. Or how about a 55-inch for $399? Or 65-inch for $599? Or a 75-inch for $999? Oh, you're right. Why gamble when I can get one of the top-rated brands for prices like that? Exactly. And there's only one thing that can make all these deals better. Than Black Friday? What? Video only is better than Black Friday prices on Samsung, LG, and Sony. No way. Yes, even on the top-rated models. Video only is better than Black Friday sale is your best choice. At Video Only, you won't find huge stores with refrigerators or dishwashers, but you will find the best deals on the best TVs, sound bars, and home theater systems. Shop around, but then make sure you visit Video Only, because if you don't, you'll be sorry. In Jansen Beach, Clackamas, Beaverton, Salem, and Eugene. Video Only. Hey, it's John Canzano, and I know a real estate transaction is an important transaction. That's why I go with the expert realtors at Keller Williams Portland Premier. Here's another of the expert realtors, Bev Bloom. All my clients are just like growing my family. I care about their money as if it were my own. So when they make good investments, you know, we do it together. I have a very clear conscience, and so if they call me back in a, a year or six months or two years or whatever it might be, um, I know that they're in a good investment rather than getting that phone call and going, why did we buy this house? So I care about them. I care about growing my family, growing my sphere, um, which is a big reason why a lot of times they come back. It's the expertise at Keller Williams Portland Premier that you benefit from, whether it's listing a home or buying a home. You need that experience, the technology, 
and the best team. I'm Bev Bloom, and you can reach me at 503-482-8005. You can also go to bftpicks.com to see the realtors that I pick. Keller Williams, Portland Premier. It's officially fall. The crisp, cool air has me wanting to be cozy inside my house. It's a great time to think about redoing your kitchen or bath before the family gatherings begin. Whether you need cabinets or countertops, sinks or faucets, Par Cabinet Design Center can help you with everything. And they'll do it on time and on budget. That's our experience. Excellent service and quality has been counted on by Northwestern since 1930. Get into Par Cabinet Design Center and let them help you create the kitchen or bath of your dreams. CCB 168372. For more info, visit parcabinet.com and tell them Lars sent you. The stigma of addiction is destroying lives across the country, preventing our loved ones from getting the help and treatment they desperately need. We are Shatterproof, a national nonprofit organization dedicated to ending the stigma and devastation that addiction causes families. We're changing laws, we're creating a community of support, and we're providing evidence-based resources for prevention, treatment, and recovery. We are working hard every single day to reduce the secrecy and remove the shame of addiction. Stigma shatters lives. Rise up against addiction so another life isn't lost to this disease. Join the Shatterproof movement. Get involved today and learn more at shatterproof.org slash rise up. That's shatterproof.org slash rise up. Gary Lavox here from Rascal Flats. Seems like there's never enough time to get done what you have to. It's easy to get wrapped up in work and the busyness of life. But sometimes, the people you care about most get the least of your time. As you chase your dreams, don't forget the people that mean the most to you. Your friends, family, kids, or spouse. They need you. It's a good reminder for me, and I hope for you too. This message is brought to you by the U.S. Air Force. You're listening to the Oregon College Football Postgame Show with Judah Newby and Neil Lomax. Presented by Frost Brewed Coors Light on 1029 and 750 The Game. George Costanza has a line in Seinfeld. He says, it's not a lie if you believe it. And that reminds me of some of uh, Oregon's offensive strategy and, and, you know, maybe it's easier to criticize it since when it's not working, but it's not a lie. If you believe it, Does, so we're not, you're not going, Oregon... poli- you're not going political here. No, no Paul, please just <laughs> let's keep away from red and blue States and counting votes and recounts and Okay. Okay. So, no. so the lie kind of is, we really thought Oregon had a great offensive line and great defensive line. These guys are studs and that's just not the truth. And it might not be the truth. That's yeah. That's what I'm saying. Judy, give me your give me your player players of the game. Dylan Mitchell. I'm gonna give me give me your players. So Oregon offensively, I'd give it to Dylan Mitchell. Okay, uh, you could say Herbert, sure, but to me, that last drive, you gotta that last drive. Six minutes left in the game, you gotta do better than second and three in plus territory, and turn it over on fourth down. So you talk about critical pr- plays, second and three in plus territory. You're down by five. You cannot have a, a non-point scoring situation there, so I won't give it to Herbert. Mitchell, though, just statistically, you can't ignore what he's doing. So seven straight games with at least six and 100 for Dylan Mitchell. He is my player of the game. Uh, defensively, 
Yeah, it's kind of hard to pick. I know Holland's got his hand on the quarterback a couple of times, made a couple PBUs, but no turnovers, man. No. You got to, if, if it's a guy making his first career start, you have to turn him over. They didn't. That's a problem to me. I and mean, we talk a lot about Marcus Arroyo. I'll tell you what, Troy Taylor owned Jim Levitt for about three quarters tonight. And I think Jim Levitt needs a lot of criticism too. So those are my kind of players of the game. What about you? Yeah, the coaching, the coaching yeah. of their heart. You know, Utah came and, Rallied around the the two backups, and I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna give my helmet sticker to Travis Dye. He came in, uh, had nine rushes. I mean, obviously Dylan Mitchell deserved right. it. I'm just gonna go with Travis Dye. He came in, nine rushes, uh, 66 yards. He he was a difference maker in that really that third fourth quarter. Keep those drives alive. Uh, and flipping the other side of the ball, really to the Utah side, Matt Gay, the field goal kicker, six for six. Six for six. And that 55-yarder? Huge at the end of the half. And, and, and never a doubt. And it's too easy to go with Shelly and go with Shine. I mean, that's the way you should go. But I like to see the unsung guys. And you look at a game like this, you always look at the offensive linemen, defensive linemen. I thought Jelks played well enough. He had a couple sacks, a couple stops, pass break. But you're right, they did not stop the run at all. But Utah-wise, when they had a chance to score some points, they did. And that showed the... The importance of a kicker. Yeah. I mean, every kickoff he had was in the end zone. Repeat it, and six for six for field goals. That's 20 points. I, yeah, I, I totally agree. We saw coming into the game, we didn't expect much from the Utah tight ends. And yet, how what, they combined for double-digit catches, right, Neil? I mean, and, and they played big part of this game. And, hey, you could speak to this. What is a young, inexperienced quarterback's best friend? Probably a reliable tight end, right? Anybody within that four to eight yards, and he completed, I think, out out of the eighteen, he eleven of them were to the what the tight ends, uh, Fotheringham, Kyle Winningham's other friend, Fotheringham. <laughs> we'll just call him Cole and Brant Cuthy. Both had five receptions. Well, Fotheringham had five. Uh, Brant had four, over one hundred twenty yards, and those are the two tight ends. And we're even listed the top three. We thought uh, Covey would be the guy they'd go to and go to often. He only had four receptions. So you're right. The two tight ends were the difference in that offense. Yeah, and Covey had a huge impact in the first uh, quarter. He had four touches for 50 yards in the first quarter alone. Oregon on third down in the first half was anemic, always facing third and long. They ended up converting a couple in the fourth quarter. It's just not sustainable. You know, I'll just keep going back to the way that they start games on the road. You know, this team's not good enough to have a wide margin of error. They're not good enough. If you're the Patriots with that incisive passing attack, you can come back from two scores down in the first half when you have that talent and that offensive scheme. When you're Oregon, your offensive philosophy is maximized when you're playing with a lead. Especially when you you defer like they do. Everybody kind of does that now to set the tone. Sure. Our defense, and they muff the reverse. Four-yard line. You're on the minus four. Facing third and seven. And they get it, and they go 75 yards. They get some points, which is huge. And then the strip, had a little sack. On a third and 11. Third and 11, and then they get seven. So Boom. you're right. What? That's you Maybe can't. you don't charter. Maybe you take a bus, guys. Party ball style. Well, yeah, they'll, they'll take a bus to Corvallis, though. I know that for sure. They won't fly. Let's... With a layover in Portland. <laughs> oh, you go to Junction City. You go from Eugene, Junction City, or Harrisburg. Right? I love it. Just yeah. drop off of Harrisburg for a walkthrough before you get to Corvallis. That's, you know, just, that's a, what, just a test. Now, that's the, what I would do, but I'm not the head coach. All right. 
Neil, it's fun as always. It's a blast. You teach me a lot about football. I think you do the same for the listener out there, and uh, the passion speaks for itself. Uh, go Vikes. I know you're going down to the arena, checking that yep. out for the second half, uh, rooting on Barrett Perry and company. So Vikes basketball in a good way this year. Neil's going to yep. go check that out. Uh, catch us next week, and then we're on remote at the Fields Bar and Grill, Black Friday for the Civil War. Going to be a lot of fun. He's Neil Lomax. I'm Judah Newby. Uh, Orton College wrap-up show takes you till midnight. Jordan Schultz and Peter Sampson on 1029-750 The Game.